Welcome to this week's edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. I'm Pete Mazzetti. My guest this evening is Joe DeLong, who's the executive director of CCM. Joe, welcome. Pete, thanks for having hey, me. Hey, buddy, back. how are you? Good I'm to good. see you. I'm it's good. been a while. It's great to be back in studio. I know. Last I, time we did this, we did this yeah. through Zoom, and that was no fun. No, it, the only thing that was fun about it is my kids got into a freezer downstairs to get an ice cream sandwich and knocked out the internet. That's in the right, they of cut the, the connection. Yeah, they did. So, so that was interesting. So, so I think Carl Fortuna and I carried the rest you of the did, segment, yeah. which is always, which is always fun. And now you don't have Carl here to carry me, so I'm nah, no well, we'll, so, fit, we'll figure yeah. something out. We'll talk. We'll talk long. So mm -hmm. Joe, tell us a little bit about CCM, what you guys do, and how long you've been executive director. You know, it's hard to believe, but I've been here seven years now, um, really? which just when I think about that just, wow. just shocks me. Um, so CCM is the state's uh, largest organization of Connecticut's towns and cities. Okay. Um, we have been at times where we represented all 169 cities and towns, currently 168 of Connecticut's 169 towns and cities are members. Mm -hmm. And we do, um, you know, anything that really comes from the strength of the collective, uh, you know, because a lot of our towns are very small. Uh, we do advocacy. That's probably what we're most forward-facingly known for is our policy and advocacy at both the federal uh, Congress as, as well as the state house. But we do a whole lot more than that. We do a ton of uh, trainings, a lot of, you know, a lot of workshops, a lot of research. Um, we offer a lot of programs to our cities and towns. Most, uh, almost all of the towns and cities, not all, but almost all the towns and cities purchase their uh, workers' compensation and property casualty liability insurance through CCM's insurance arm, CURMA, uh, mm -hmm. the Connecticut Interlocal Risk Management Agency. A lot of communities purchase their energy and electricity through our energy purchasing programs, which save just tens of millions of dollars to taxpayers. Oh, um, you know, we, we're, we're just a little bit of anything where we can help a community where they have a need and we have the resources. We step in and, and do the research and things that are done to make sure that they can either A, deliver the best services to their residents as possible, or B, that we can help deliver the most cost-effective um, services to them to keep their communities running. Absolutely. Now, you guys probably work pretty closely with the Connecticut State Legislator. Tell, legislature, tell us about that. Depends on how you define closely. All right. <laughs> we, we certainly, sometimes more closely than others. Yeah, but, right. but yeah now we, we really, then um, I'm just, I'm joking. Yeah, we, absolutely. We really consider our municipal government and our state government to be partners in governing. Mm -hmm. And that's what we try to, that's really what we strive for. That's what we try to advocate for at the state house is to understand their goals and objectives for the state as a whole, yeah. but how those goals and objectives actually work at the local level. Because we believe that government works best when it's in the hands of the people and it's at the most local level of government. We think a bottom-up form of government works better than a top-down form of government. And so um, we do work closely with members of the General Assembly. A lot of times it's um, you know in opposition to things mm -hmm. that maybe they're trying to do, that they're trying to do for the right reasons, but not necessarily understanding the outcomes and how those can impact our communities. And we also work with them in, in ways where they're trying to do things and we completely support it. And we you know figure out the best way to, to roll it out or to implement it or make it impact um, the greatest amount of people. And so, you know, it's, it's really interesting when you look at CCM and you look at the nature of politics today mm -hmm. because we are really like the last man standing in terms of bipartisanship. Right. You know, you have it at Washington, D.C., 
it's all partisan. Yeah. It's all, I mean, it's just almost a straight divide part. And, it, and people will say, oh, it's always been that way. No, it hasn't. I mean, it used to be you could confirm, do things like confirming Supreme Court justices, and sometimes it might be 100% because they would just look at their qualifications. Yeah. Now those things are almost fall completely on party lines. That started to trickle down and get into our state houses where things have become very partisan at the state house level, although in Connecticut there are areas mm -hmm. where our General Assembly still comes together in a bipartisan way. They are certainly more defined by the things that divide them now than the things that bring them together. Where within our organization, representing the towns and cities all across, the, all across Connecticut, you know, we have Democrats, Republicans, independents, town managers, you know, everything across the board. Yeah. And we bring them all together and most of our positions, I would say 99% of the positions that we take are taken in unanimity with our membership. Right. There are some areas where our membership gets a little divided and we'll still have a position that maybe some don't agree with. But in those cases, it's more like a 90-10 or an 85-15 percentage. Yep. You'd never really see CCM taking a position on something where our membership is divided 51% to 49%. Yeah, right. We just back off because we're really about the collective. We know that our strength is in getting people to work together um, in a bipartisan way because there's this old saying, Pete, but it really mm -hmm. holds true. There's not a Democrat way or a Republican way to fill a pothole. No, of course. Pothole just has to be filled. Exactly. You know? So. Um, we're really unique in that way, and, and I'm proud of that, that we're one of the, the last political type of organizations that still, when you're in the room with our elected officials, for the most part, you couldn't tell which ones are Democrats or which ones are Republicans. They're all working toward the same goals. Exactly, and I know in the town that I live in, we actually have a town manager form of government, and somebody yes. said the other day, they were talking about the budget or something, and they're like, how come the town managers are not there talking in front of the public and talking to the media? And I'm like, because we also have a town council. And I'm like, that's the job of the chairman of the town council. The town manager is there to do a job. Yeah, to be, to be a professional town manager, right. not an elected official. And exactly. There, there is a difference. You know, interestingly enough, right. that is the most popular form of government now in the United States. Not in right. Connecticut and not in New England. New England's very different, you mm -hmm. know, in a lot of ways. Yeah. But across this country, the town manager form of government is, is by far the most popular form of government now that exists. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's unique. It's, it's it again, is. it's not that way here. Right. Um, you know, and, and that's for a whole other set of reasons, you know, and mm -hmm. we're very much, um, you know, committed to our history here and, and um, you know, you still have a lot of town meeting forms of government oh, yeah. here and town referendum forms of government. And, you know, the Connecticut's uh, forms of government really were developed a lot through churches. Yep. You know, it's really, it's, so it's, it's a little bit different. But again, across the rest of the country, it's not as heavy mayor council anymore. Now the, the number one form of government in this nation is the town manager form of government. Yeah. I, I actually, my mom back in the 80s and 90s was on the board of selectmen in the town of Clinton. Okay. And so I grew up and I was son of an elected official from 1987 till a couple of years ago when she retired. I remember being, as far as like the board of selectmen side of things, being in like budget hearings and budget workshops where it was only the board of selectmen and for the members of the public 
it was me and the local newspaper reporter. That nobody else, nobody no, else. No, nobody yeah. else. That's yeah. it. It's yeah. like. The boy, you talk about the local newspaper reporters covering yeah. you know, town meetings and, and boards of selectmen <laughs> and all that. That's becoming a real struggle. And oh, that's, absolutely. And it's terrifying. Absolutely. It really is. When, when we start losing that, and we are losing it, oh, yeah. that, that is a real disservice to the public to not have local reporters. No, They're absolutely. so important. Now, I got to tell you, Pete, one of these days mm. you're going to have to take me around Clinton. Clinton's a member. Yeah. And, and I like the town of Clinton. I've obviously been there. It's a great town. It is. But, but the problem is most of the time when I'm driving by Clinton, I try to avoid it because my wife is with me and you have this thing called the outlets. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I'm always afraid to drive too much through Clinton because ultimately the car always gets steered toward the outlets. And, and you know, that's and what, always very expensive. Whatever, for whatever, whatever you do when you go up, up to the outlets... Make sure you walk into the Lint chocolate store. Oh, no, no, I don't need to do that. <laughs> so. My mom works for Lint. Oh, okay. Well, well I'll do it for your mom. Yeah, you know, mom, I'll do it. Mom, mom Maybe works. I'll buy it as a gift for somebody. Mom, See, that's the problem. Mom works, I can't mom, leave this stuff mom, alone. Mom works yeah. for Lint. So, yeah. Joe, lot of, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of other things tonight. But one yeah. of the things I want to talk about, we, talk, we just talked about local newspapers for a second. There is a Senate bill up in the legislature, legislature, I believe it's Bill 278, supporting public access TV. Yes. Can we maybe talk about public access TV and as far as you being Joe DeLong from CCM, how important it is? Listen, it's, it's so important, not just for Joe DeLong at CCM, but for all of the people out there um, who need to have access to real, unbiased, unfiltered content. Right. And, you know, I think the the easiest way for me to make that point, Pete, without getting into Fox News versus MSNBC, <laughs> is is to just to really, you know, because people have strong opinions of oh, yeah. who's right, who's wrong, right. whatever. It's just to point out that these other so-called media companies, yes. and I call them so-called media companies, because yeah. when they get into lawsuits, Mm -hmm. What is their number one defense? Their number one defense that they all put up universally now is we're not a news organization. We're an entertainment company. Now think about it. That's their defense. Okay. That's their defense. Every time that, that, you know, a CNN or a Fox or an MSNBC or any of those organizations that we think are delivering us the news. Right. Okay. Anytime they get sued for something, mm -hmm. their immediate defense right off the bat is pointing out, no, 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 we're not a news organization, we're an entertainment company. Right. <laughs> so I think when we talk about supporting public access TV, the yes. question becomes, do you want to get your news from an entertainment company <laughs> or do you want to get it from unfiltered Pete from Pete Mazzetti <laughs> or, you know, other people, uh, certainly Pete Mazzetti. Yeah, first. there you go. That's yeah. <laughs> but, but others in your community that are just bringing you the story. Yeah. And that's so important. And this, I think, you know, as we look a few years back when the budget got really tight in Connecticut, mm. we can talk about that later because it's going to again. But right now, you know, we've got all these federal dollars and everything right. else. It's kind of happy days are here again yeah, for, exactly. about, for about two years. Yeah, before. Right. But when things got really tight and they started finding places to cut, one of the things that they did, they even started cutting, you know, CTN and all of that. Mm -hmm. And the legislature wanted to control the content of saying, you know, CTN, you're covering too much stuff. We don't want you covering these committee meetings. We'll determine what's important for you to cover. Yeah, okay. And I was one of the people who got, oh, heck no. 
Yeah, right. You know, when we start, you know, having policymakers controlling the content that cable, you know, television should be covering. Right. Um, you know, I think Kim Jong-un does that. Yeah, right, <laughs> you exactly. Know what I mean? It's not who we <laughs> right. want to be. <laughs> right. so, so I think this is really important. It's legislation that our organization submitted testimony in support yes, of. thank you. And, thank um, you. you know, I think the work that you guys do is incredibly supportive. Absolutely. And And I don't, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world to know about, uh, you know, ratings of this or ratings no. of that. You know, somebody tell me how highly rated the Super Bowl was, all I know is if I watched it or I didn't watch it. Yeah, exactly. But what I can tell you is when I come on here, mm -hmm. um, inevitably there are people in all of these communities in which you cover that I see and they'll say, hey, I saw you on the Pete Mazzetti show the other day. Yeah. You know, so I know it's reaching people because right. I hear it. And right. to me, that's more important than any other number you're ever gonna put in front of me. Well, thank you. Well, matter yeah. of fact, last time we, before, back in October, November, of last year before she retired, I had Susan Bransfield on with me and she was in the studio. Yes. One of my favorite yeah. people. Well, I like her a lot. I, I always, and I've said this before, not just because you brought up her name, because there's others that I think incredibly highly of. Right. But I always tell people in my role, I'm not allowed to have favorites. No, of course with not. With that being said, Susan Bransfield was always my favorite. Absolutely. You know, there's no, you know, I've, I've been privileged seven years. I've worked under some great board presidents. They've all been good. I can't tell you in seven years I had a board president, Democrat or Republican, that I didn't like or was glad when their term ended. Right. Susan was the best. Yeah. There was only, and Susan did it in the hardest year. Susan did it. Susan did it in the year where the state didn't get a budget passed until Halloween. Duh. If you remember That's, that, yeah, the year that, you know, the budget's yeah. supposed to be done in, you know, in, in, in May, you know, right. the type of thing, and, so, and we October. were getting done at the, end, the very end of October, and that was, that was rough. Yeah. You know, it was, it was rough because the General Assembly got to a point where it seemed like all they wanted to do was fight, but none of them, and, and define themselves by what they were against. You could sit in a meeting for two hours and hear what everybody was against. I couldn't figure out what anybody was for. Exactly. And, and Susan was a rock through yeah. that, a rock for our towns and cities. She was a rock at being a collaborator to try yeah. to keep it. Sometimes people, when they're collaborators, they're, they can become like, you know, rolled over a little mm -hmm. bit. Susan was this wonderful collaborator who was always willing to work out the differences. But when things got too far and she had to be tough, she was tough. Yeah. You know, she was, there, there are people you want in your foxhole. Yeah, Susan was she's always, one of them. Susan, listen, Susan always has a home in my foxhole. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, the, when I found out she wasn't running for re-election, I'm not from Portland, I don't no. live in Portland. I felt a deep sense of loss, yeah. knowing that Susan was not gonna run again. She's an amazing public servant. Well, truly, truly one of the best. Absolutely. Now, as far as, now you said Susan was on your board of directors, correct? She was. She was our board president, you know, for a period of time. I believe, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, your current board president is the mayor of the city of, city of Hartford, Luke yes. Bronin. Luke Bronin, yes. What's he like? That's great. Is you, know, you know, Luke is uh, much like any urban mayor. Okay. Um, he is not somebody that I'm in constant communication with right. because there's many demands on their time. Yeah. You know, a lot of times we get a small town board president and we talk almost daily. Right. Um, you know, Luke and I, a lot of times will just communicate through a text or something to clear something up. And it's, and it's you know, much more brief simply because Luke is in high demand for right. what he does. But, you know, he's a, he's a Rhodes Scholar. Did okay. you know that? No, you know? Um, really? Incredibly bright. And, you know, the other thing 
for me because I get to see a different side yeah. of, of all of these people. Um, Luke's a wonderful father. Is he? Um, and, and, and number one, he's so busy, but he's very dedicated still to the lives of his kids. Mm -hmm. But here's what's unique about that. There's a lot of people that, unless they're very close to Luke, wouldn't know that because he doesn't flaunt it. Right. He's out there, and, and a lot of times in politics, you'll see people with all these pictures with their wife and their kids, right. or their husband and their kids, and smiling family, kids are doing this, and they're putting out on social media, hey, we're all going as a family to this, and they put their family. Luke's protective of his family. Absolutely. You know what I mean? He's this great father who he serves the community, but he doesn't flaunt all the things he does with his kids because he's protective of his kids, because Absolutely. he's a great dad. Yeah. You know, and, and so that, if anything, um, that's the thing that I'll take away that I respected him the most is I see, I see the person and, and he's a genuinely, genuinely good person. Speaking so. of generally, generally good people and unique people, one of the members that you have on your board of directors happens to be the old Sherbrooke First Selectman. Speaking of unique yes, characters. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, mm. An attorney. We should probably talk about him too. Not, a, not an if we don't mention him, we're both going to get in trouble. Yeah, well, not you know, he's an attorney. I don't know, he doesn't practice law anymore because That's he's right. But, he's but, first his, but he brings such a. And who would that be, by the way? Carl Fortuna. There you Carl go. Carl Fortuna, one of, the, go. one of the truly um, bright, truly bright minds of Absolutely. local elected officials. You Absolutely. Know? Um, like I said, when last time I was on and we did this remotely and my internet went out, That's right. I wasn't like oh my gosh we're on this interview and my internet went out and we lost it i was like oh i'm on there with carl carl's got this yeah covered, Pete, you know? Pete and carl I, I like to come on the as, rest of the segment i prefer to be on here as his sidekick anyway you Absolute. know what i mean so <laughs> absolutely yeah but, but carl's uh, just a, a great guy and he's a great friend of yours yes um, very good active of member show. of our board um carl is also a very uh, i was i was meeting earlier today mm -hmm. with the guy who is the president of our insurance arm the kermit that i was talking about okay. and um they are trying he was telling me you know i'm really trying to get carl moving up as part of the kerma executive leadership he's okay. on the board but as part of the executive committee right and he said because he just brings so much value yeah you know what i mean and he was absolutely right. So we were just, uh, Carl's ears could be burning now, but they should have been burning earlier in the day because we were internally talking about him and, exactly. and the value that he brings to both of our boards. Now, who is the board contact for Karma? Well, right now, see, it's, it's, it's unique because oh, okay. to be on the Karma board, you have to be on the CCM board. Oh. Oh, okay, gotcha. so, so so it's the CCM. It. Yeah, you have to be on the C. So everybody who's on the CCM board, yep. whose town uses Kerma services, gotcha. they serve on the Kerma board. So uh, it's it's gotcha. kind of like, almost in, in some ways it's almost like a subcommittee of the CCM board. But they do have some autonomy because the insurance pool is regulated. Right. So from a regulatory structure, that board has you know a lot of uh, regulatory responsibility. Right now. Uh, it's a first selectman of Bethel, a guy by the name of Matt Knickerbocker, okay. who's, um, you know, another just, you know, I keep saying, like, you know, they're all great. Yeah. They, they really are. I'd never say anything bad about any of our members, but but some are just outstanding. Matt's another one like Carl, and that's just outstanding, dedicated, reasonable, um, you know, intelligent mind, listens before he speaks, and is I know has brought a lot of value to Kerma in his time as the Kerma chair. And so Kerma basically is the insurance side for all the 
yes. all the towns. Yes. Yeah, they, they, they provide the workers' compensation, property casualty, liability, insurance, and, and a whole lot of training to our towns. Really? They don't just provide the product, but they do a whole lot of training. To our, the, above what other insurance companies do, Kerma right. is invested in the communities of being a real partner within the communities. They, they do great work. Absolutely. Now, as far as CCM goes, how have you been? How have you guys been doing since the start of the pandemic to where we are now? Obviously, you're getting back and doing things in person. You probably did a lot through Zoom. We are. You know, um, I will tell you that our productivity, the way we measure productivity, has, yep. has not missed a beat. Um, mm -hmm. The services that we've been able to deliver, and in fact, when the pandemic first hit. Mm. you know which almost seems like lifetimes ago yeah right but we were really worried about municipal tax collections and all of the things that come with you know job loss shutting down the economy all those things very early on mm. ccm as an organization gave uh, a little over a million dollars equity distribution back to our members back to our towns and cities really? um, just to help stabilize things during that uncertain time um, to my knowledge, we became the first municipal league in the history of the country to actually give an equity distribution back to our membership oh, like wow. that. So the insurance pool does it um, because it's so large yeah. you know, from time to time. But for the league itself, for the league to be able to give over a million dollars back to its members in a time of need, um, and we were able to do that and stay on still on very solid uh, fiscal stable ground and and by the way hmm. you know in the services we provide I've been here seven years we've never increased the dues to our members not one time really no wow. so so that's been uh, you know that's been a lot of fun too that we've been able to continue to meet their needs give money back at a time of, of high need and um, not come and put a further burden on them, which uh, I don't know how many other leagues could also say that they haven't increased dues in seven years, but we've been able to hold the line. Yeah, absolutely not. And as far as the legislature goes, I'm sure everybody up at the state capitol is now virtual. Well, I'm assuming the building is closed to the public. No, it's 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 semi-open now. Okay. Yeah, there there's right. certain things. It's it's they're kind of more in a hybrid okay. at this point. But the public is getting in, um, but they are doing still doing a lot of. Um, testimony, uh, virtual testimony and that sort of thing. So, which by the way, is kind of nice. It gives public access that a lot of them didn't have. You know, there's a whole lot of people who would have never <laughs> known how or had the means or been able to get off of work on time or whatever to go yeah. to the state house to testify. And now you can, you can just do it right from your living room. So exactly. that's great. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of the state capitol, Diamantis Gate. Yeah, what, that's it. What is it? Diamantis Gate, that's the interesting times. Well, I'll tell you, <laughs> I can talk about you know what I know from the media, but I can talk about the things that I know firsthand, which are vastly different. Okay. You know? So, so the deputy um, secretary of, of OPM, a guy by the name of Costas Diamantis, okay. uh, who was over the school construction grants and uh, other school type programs for the state of Connecticut, um, there. There were, these aren't things that I know firsthand, this is the media reports, obviously. Right. Uh, the FBI was investigating, or is investigating, um, allegations of basically bid steering, um, okay. if you will. Uh, really going to our communities and saying, uh, if, if you want the state to support this project, here's the contractor you have to give the work to, mm -hmm. type of thing. And then there was a whole other side of this that had to do with, um, with his daughter, uh, getting a job, a very pristine type job with the state's attorney, 
that there was some allegations there that the state's attorney was working with Diamantis to try to get his people raises. Okay. And in exchange, you know, at the same time, the daughter got the job. Now, let me say, say about this. Okay. Uh, number one, I don't know what happened there. I just know what I read. Right, exactly. But number two, as a father with two daughters, I, you know, this, this young lady, I don't want to say her name, right. I don't think it's fair. Her name has been driven, drugged through the mud yeah. from this. She's just a young lady who found an opportunity to get a good job right. and got it. If her dad broke the rules, bent the rules, whatever, we don't know, allegations, mm -hmm. then, then that's, you know, that's on him and the investigation will bring all of that out. But, but there's the daughter who's just a kid trying to get, you know, trying get to get a, a job, job and, and got one. And now, you know, her reputation has been somewhat taken a hit on all of this. I feel, I just say that because I feel for the, the family. I, right. it is, it is a father with two young daughters. I also understand that as a parent, how trying to help your kids, you might step outside of what would not be outside of the line in the private sector would be a very normal thing. Right. Maybe steps you outside the line in the public sector. Absolutely. But, but here's, here's the issue that I have um, with the whole Diamantis thing and, mm -hmm. and the, the linkage with CCM. So back in um, August, September of last year, okay. we had reached out to the governor's office for the program that Diamantis oversaw that had to do with um, the part of the school construction program. Right. And it's, it's a little complex, but when you break it down, it's, it's really not that hard. So the state at that time, and still currently today, the state has this grant program that it recognizes when it comes to a school, that a school has, a school roof has an end of life. You know, roof okay. after 25 years needs right. replaced. Right, they yeah. The program recognizes that a window in a school, a school window, has an end of life. Right. Now, you have to do the right maintenance and all that. So if we're the town and we say the roof has hit the end of life and it's only 10 years old, no, it's not hit its end of life. It's because you haven't maintained it properly. Exactly. Okay. So that's on the town. But the state has this program that very clearly recognizes there's an end of life for a roof and there's an end of life for a window. What, what we found during COVID was that we had several air quality systems in these schools that were no longer functioning, um, that weren't doing the job. And so when you're worried about a pandemic, you're worried about dirty air you yep. know, circulating through the schools. And we reached out and said, air quality systems should be treated no differently than a roof or a window. And that is, we, we should identify what is the end of life for an air quality system and if it's reached that end of life, this grant program should also be accessible to where the state is a partner in replacing those systems okay. because we want our students to breathe clean air. Right. Thought it was a very reasonable request at the time. The governor's office pushed back vehemently against it. I mean, heavily against it. It was, if there's any problem with air quality systems, it's because the towns haven't maintained them right. Well, that might be the case with some, but. Yeah. You also hit an end of life. Right. This was the program that Diamantis um, oversaw, and he was very adversarial, unwilling to even have a conversation about it. And the conversations when he did were, were accusatory, unproductive, just very, very difficult to deal with. So we'd asked to meet above him with the governor himself or governor's direct rep. 
And the governor's rep met with myself and a town manager. I think this was probably early on in September. Okay. And sat down, had a conversation with us about it. And ultimately what came out of that discussion was, I'll go back and talk to Costas and see if he'll change his mind. But he has the governor's full backing and support. It's ultimately his decision. I've never heard that before. Right. That was really interesting to, to have this marker put down where we're trying to meet with the governor's office about this person and the governor's office representative telling us, well, I'll go back and talk to this person, but if they don't change their mind, you're out of luck. That, right. that was a really strange type of thing. And then, you know, a few weeks later, um, because we continued to press the issue, we even put together a coalition with teachers unions and parents groups to really heighten this issue that air quality in schools was important, particularly in a pandemic, and we needed to all be working together on it. And so NPR um, asked me to come on and discuss the issue with a representative from the governor's office and why they weren't moving on it. Well, when I get on NPR, it's essentially a debate with Costas Diamantis. So the governor's office sent Costas in to essentially argue with us on the issue and, and dress us down and say how wrong we were and how they had this great program and shame on us and really just to try to, to, to quiet us down. And it was really interesting because that's where things stayed. No matter how hard we pushed, it was Costas pushing back, the governor's office backing him and pushing back. And then all of this stuff came with the FBI probe. Mm -hmm. And as soon as the FBI probe came down on Diamantis, then all the other conversations started to change. <laughs> it was like, well, now he doesn't have our unequivocal full backing. And, yeah. you know, and, and just a, a, a week or so ago, the governor did a press conference announcing that he was putting $90 million in his budget proposal um, for air quality in schools. So it oh, went good. from, we're not gonna do it, we're not gonna do it, we're, it's all up to Diamantis, he's in full yeah. control, to a big press conference saying, hey, look, here's 90 million to do this wonderful thing. Oh, good. But what was, what was really unfortunate that wasn't part of that press conference was at the same time, essentially the same time, the same period of time, that they had completely changed their position on the air quality in schools and decided to fund it, they were going behind the scenes and going to communities who had done on other projects exactly what Diamantis had told them to do and told those communities, hey, that money that he promised you to do this project, we're not going to fund it any longer yeah. because we're not backing him. He should have never promised you this. Right. Well, the absurdity of that was he had their full backing. It was very clear that he had their full backing. We were given that message very directly. And so towns did what they were directed to do by Diamantis, got things in their budgets, got projects underway. And at the same time, the state flipped it. So essentially state flipped two positions. The state flipped its position on the air quality in schools that they wouldn't fund by doing a big press conference and saying, hey, we're going to fund this now. <laughs> right. But at the same time, behind the scenes, they flipped a position on the commitments that they had already made to fund things and said, well, he should have never made those commitments and now we're not going to honor him. Uh, so it's still just a really um, mess. And, and Pete, here's the problem in the hmm. end, in the very end, they're, you know, first of all, we got to take care of the kids. Right. That, that has come first. But the other part of this is, for the people who are close to it and have witnessed this happen, it's a real blow to public trust. Right. 
That's the big issue. If you're in one of these communities where we've come to you as a local elected official in a budget process, and let's say in that budget process, um, because we're different in Connecticut and we have so many local referendums and we have town meeting forms of government, so we come to the town and we put forth this proposal and say, we want to increase your mill rate by X because we want to cover this portion of this project. Oh, by the way, the other half or whatever the amount is, is being covered by the state. And so the people in that community look at it and they say, okay, you know, I don't like my taxes going up. I hate to pay, but if the state's paying for this much, we're paying for that much. So they vote to do it. Now the project gets underway. You have the contractors in place. All the work is started and the state comes back and says, yeah, yeah, we're not going to, what we told you we were going to do, now that Costas is gone, we're not going to honor that. We're not going to pay it anymore. Right. And you have to turn around and look at those taxpayers and say, uh, guess what? You have to come up with another $16 million or whatever the case may right. be. You know what that does to the public's trust in government? It's, it just crushes it. Absolutely. And they don't understand necessarily all these inner workings as to what happened. But what they do understand is they were misled. Absolutely. And it takes a long time to repair that. And so that's, um, that's to me, is one of the most unfortunate things about this is how it's, it's really done things to damage the public's trust on opposite ends of the spectrum. Absolutely. Joe, would you mind sticking around for another segment? Be glad to. All right, we'll be right back. Information is power, especially in times of uncertainty. In the age of 24-7 breaking news headlines, viral tweets, and social media rumors, We all need to take extra steps to verify information before accepting and sharing what we read online. Whether inaccurate information is purposely posted to deceive or defraud individuals or shared unknowingly by people who believe it's true, misinformation can be dangerous. Is there a vaccine? Are certain blood types immune? Are additional stimulus checks coming? When will we open back up? Questions are expected and they deserve accurate answers. We need you to rely on information from official sources and credible subject matter experts. For both Connecticut-specific information and federal resources, visit ct.gov backslash coronavirus. Community TV, your neighborhood TV. Publicly funded and a reliable partner for cable companies nationwide. It provides transparent coverage of local and state government, education, and public programming. A digital town green that can be watched anywhere, anytime and on any device watch us on today's high-tech distribution methods community tv in connecticut local unfiltered reliable and and yours welcome back to this week's edition of the pete mazzetti show i'm pete mazzetti sitting here with joe delong who's the executive director of ccm welcome back my friend ah thank you that was short sweet to the point good conversation good conversation so let's open this conversation about the state capital, the budget, but one of the other things that, that I wanna talk about, we were talking about budgets in the first segment in the legislature. The, I believe the governor and taxes, I believe the governor wants to do something about the motor vehicle. Is it mo- yeah, the motor vehicle yeah, tax? The governor has a, has a proposal to cap the motor vehicle tax. Okay. Um, which, you know, I think is a, a nice step in the right direction. Okay. You know, um, at least as uh, terms of a laudable goal, it's right. a nice step in the right direction. And we're supportive of it. You know, we're supportive of anything that helps provide that level of relief. The, the concern is, is, is it sustainable? Mm. And, you know, that's, 
we've been in this cycle before because here's what's interesting, Pete, which a lot of people don't know. This isn't a new proposal. This is something that essentially was already passed and already on the books. It just didn't happen because they didn't fund it. So, really? so what happened back in, um, I hate to get my dates wrong, but I believe it was That's in okay. 2015, okay. Uh, right when I got here, and the state passed a bill, it was actually Senate Bill 1, Okay. And it was a bill that increased the sales tax. Nobody likes to hear that. No. <laughs> but, but it created what was called the municipal revenue sharing account. Sure. All right. That sounds great until it gets referred to by its acronym, which was MRSA. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So I always said, first thing, never, never, you know, name a governmental program after a communicable disease. Yeah, it right. Just doesn't, exactly. You know, doesn't bode no, well. But, absolutely not. But anyways, so the idea was the state was going to increase the sales tax by this 1%, put it in this municipal revenue sharing account, and then that money was going to go out to towns and cities, yeah. and the, the, the mill rate on cars, the car taxes were going to be capped and were yeah. going to be lowered. All this was done before. What happened was, is the sales tax went up, My state gosh. collected the money, came time to divert the money to the towns and the cities, and the state said, oh, wait a minute, we got a bunch of holes in our own budget and other Duh. priorities we have to cover. So the money, so what they would do is they would sweep the municipal revenue sharing account, yeah. never send it to where it was supposed to go, oh, good. and then send it into you know, other areas and, and within the state budget. And so the program, and then they would go back to the towns and say, well, we're going to give you a waiver this year to not lower that car tax. We're going to give you a waiver this year not to lower that car tax. What, what this is, um, is basically bringing that back, but saying, hey, we have a little bit of money right now. Right. You know, number one, it's an election year. Right. Well, you know, absolutely. So they have a little more money in election year anyway. But, yeah, right. But, but, but they honestly do have a little bit more money. Mm -hmm. um, so you would look at it and say, okay, it's great. We're finally going to fund this program that makes sense, that we all agreed to. But here's the, the challenge. We have a little money, not because we've solved any of our state's problems. No. We have a little money because the federal government, because of COVID, has sent a ton of money to the states. That's the first part. The second part is, as we know over the last couple of years, the stock market has had amazing returns. And those stock market returns have really increased the state of Connecticut's capital gains collection, because we're actually a pretty dependent state on capital gains. So we've had really high capital gains revenues. So the, the combination of the capital gains money and the federal funding mm -hmm. has given us this bubble you know, this nice little bubble, mm -hmm. this nice little bubble in an election year where you can kind of go and talk about some tax cuts and do some things and make people feel really good and, and that we're heading in the right direction. And by the way, hmm. I'm not dismissing those things because it is important right. that we do that. But it's also important that we do it through a lens that we don't just turn around in two years and say, oh my gosh, now we're broke. Um, now the car, we can't fund the car tax thing anymore. So now either one of two things has to happen. The car tax either goes back up or we continue to hold it flat, but we don't reimburse the towns. So now everybody else's property taxes on their homes are going to go up, uh, okay. you know, that type of thing. So the, the state at some point, and it's not going to be now because it's not going to be when times are good, even though that's when it should be. But the state has got to do really um, systemic reforms yeah. to our unfunded liabilities uh, in order to, 
to put us on a fiscally sustainable path, not just on these bubbles, you know, and, and that's, that's to me is the biggest concern right now is we are acting in some ways like, oh, happy days are here again, or Absolutely. our problems are solved, or we're on this great path. Let me tell you something about the path we're on, hmm. to, to be brutally honest. Okay. Yes, our economy's growing, coming out of the, the COVID right. recession, but it's actually growing at a slower rate than the rest of the country. That's just a, a statistical fact. When did that last happen? What happened coming out of the last recession? Mm -hmm. Connecticut still has not recovered all of the jobs that we lost back in the, was it 07, 08 recession? Yeah. Okay, we still haven't recovered all of those jobs lost. And if you look at how we recovered out of the 07, 08 recession, we did recover. Right. We just recovered at a rate slower than the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. If you look at the trend of how we recovered coming out of 07, 08, yeah. it almost mirrors the trend of how we're recovering out of COVID. Right. So it feels good in the short term, but in the long term, it doesn't project very positively. And that's something that, that policymakers probably aren't real keen to grapple with in an yeah. election year, if they even know it. Like yeah. a lot of them may not even know it. Um, but it's coming. I mean, it's coming around the corner. It's, we're not in this great position that we're in a really good spot right now. Right. But if we don't do the right things with that money to invest appropriately within our future, you and I are going to be sitting here in 2025 and we're going to be talking about budget cuts. Yeah. We're going to be talking about tax increases. Mm -hmm. We're going to be talking about all the programs that are getting here. The same things that we were talking about a couple years ago because nothing's okay. really any different except for the high capital gains in the federal funds. Absolutely. So. Hey, speak, speaking of people and other things that we got to talk about, before I forget, we got to do a shout out, you and I. Because rumor... Always glad to do a shout out. Absolutely. <laughs> rumor has it that... CCM does a podcast called Municipal Voices. Yes, the let's, Municipal Voice. Let's talk municipal about the Municipal Voice. Yeah. So, so the Municipal Voice is a uh, every other week podcast where we essentially we, we try to rotate it. Also, sometimes I got to get on these guys because they'll forget to rotate it. <laughs> Just like we do here, we try to get we start to get real heavily into this policy and all yeah, that exactly. stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so we'll have the podcast, and a lot of times we're real heavy on the policy side. And I'll, my vision for the podcast when we created it, I want to do the policy work and how it affects local governments. Right. But I also want to just tell the local story about, you know, the, 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 the Little League team that went to the Little League World Series right. from Connecticut community. We really want to tell just this, Connecticut is so awesome. It's yeah, got so absolutely. many great, great stories, so many great places to visit. Um, I've been here seven years. It's a small state. I'm still learning something every week or a Absolutely. place I didn't know existed or a, a place to eat that I didn't know existed or, you know, uh, one of our tourist attractions and things like that. So the idea of the municipal voice is to really have the important policy discussions like we were, you know, just yeah. having on here, but also to break that up and tell the Connecticut story about what makes our towns and cities so special, what makes our community special. And that's really the role of the podcast. Now, where can the fun. podcast be heard? 
Uh, you know what? Just go on to, uh, I don't know, Pete. It's a herd everywhere. You know, it is. it's on, what is it, Spotify? Yeah. It's on, you know, it's on all of those. Uh, see, here, here's R one. Rumor has it. It's also on WNHH. On WNHH, New Haven. Here's the problem. You're talking to, I'm an old dog. Yeah, so I'm still trying to figure out what a podcast oh, even is. God. You know what I mean? But, but I'll, but I'll, I'll tell you what, though. I'll mm. make you feel a little bit, a little bit better. It's on WNHH 102.3. And it streams online on newhavenindependent.org with, with yes. our buddy Paul Bass. Paul Bass, yes. And Paul Bass would shoot me for not putting that plug in. I know. Well, I'll, I'll the great relationship we've had with them. I'll amazing. do it, but we'll get to that yeah. in a second. But the funny thing is, is the Municipal Voice is on a bi-weekly podcast on WNHH. The weeks you guys aren't on. Pete Mazzetti is. Yeah, there you <laughs> so go. It's so like, it's, uh, it's like we got the yeah, double. Yeah, we, like we, we just got, got each week filled we, in there. We got the so, double dip. Tell yeah. us about Paul Bass. Uh, you know, Good Paul, guy. Paul has been such a great partner and friend. When I see what happened, Pete, it's probably been mm. about, I don't, uh, I should know this, but I'm going to say it's probably been about four years ago. It was obviously pre-pandemic. Um, I went away to a municipal league executive director's conference, you okay. know, with my peers from other parts of the state. And one of our peers had started talking about the success of their podcast. And from their perspective, yeah. the success of it was they were bringing legislators on. And by bringing the legislators on, they were building a relationship with those legislators and having a better working relationship with yeah. them. But I, I envisioned it as being a little bit more than just that. And I came back to our staff and I said, you know, hey, I'd really like to start doing a podcast at CCM and I have all these ideas. And, I, and then I was like, but, you know, I don't, beyond that, I don't know what <laughs> I'm no, doing. I no know idea. What you know what I mean? That's okay. And so we had some, uh, some guys who had worked, you know, in that New Haven market and yeah. knew Paul. Okay. And they said, well, you know, Paul Bass and, you know, we'll go see him and he hosts this, this, um, forum that we can put all these things. The whole time I'm thinking, well, this guy's not going to do this for us for nothing. Like, you know, we're going to yeah, go right. to him and he's going to say, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And I'm going to charge you X amount yeah, of dollars right. a year or whatever. And, you know, we went over in the meeting with Paul and he was wonderful. He was like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's make it happen. And let's, you know, let's create this venue. And, and, you know, my first thing was, well, this is probably too good to be true because, you know, it's, if it's that easy, if it's that public access, as anybody listening to it, our listenership is huge. Oh, of course. And it's growing year in and year out, yeah. episode in and episode out. It's amazing Absolutely. the people that subscribe to it. And Paul has just, you know, he he showed us the way. He yeah. was like, Paul is like the Messiah saying, you guys want to go to the promised land, follow me, I'll show you how to get <laughs> this there. This is what you, know? you got to do. Yeah, and, and so it was, you know, I... I, I had this this big idea, but I had no idea where to take it from being this yeah. idea. And um, fortunately, members of our team who carry me on everything anyway, Absolutely. had a relationship with Paul and, and you know, it was, it was a one meeting deal. When do you get anything done in business in a one meeting oh, deal? Absolutely. We walked in, he was like welcoming and said, hey, here's what oh, we yeah. can do and here's how we can do it and let's make it happen and when are we gonna start? I mean, and that's just, that's it's been going ever since. I, I actually remember because it was thanks to you guys at CCM that I got introduced to Paul. Yeah. And I made the contact with him and Harry Droz, who's the general manager yes. at WNHH, and pitched the idea. And Harry was like, your time slot is 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. every other Wednesday, starting like next week. I'm like, uh, okay. okay. Yeah. I'm like, now I got to plan and prep and that was yeah. 
couple of years ago. It's been well, you know, it's tough too because yeah. you you have when you get started, you have all this stuff you want to cover, oh, all absolutely. these things you're excited about, all these messages you want to get out there, mm. and then you go through those and you go, oh wait a minute, maybe I don't have as much to say as I <laughs> thought I did. <laughs> exactly. You know I mean? like, so uh, how do I do this? Becomes, yeah, yeah. but it's been this? a great experience. Oh, absolutely. Now, what's going on up at the state legislature this year as far as bills and other other fun stuff that we want to talk about? You know, it's. Uh, as always, the General Assembly is because they come from all walks of life in all parts of the state and they have a variety of different committees. Everything under the sun is, right. goes on and, and is brought up. But what's really interesting this year, and part of it's because we're just now kind of getting out of the pandemic where some people are getting back into the Capitol and it is an election year and a shorter session. And oh, by the way, having some money to spend. Yeah. These guys aren't used to having money to spend. They're no. usually used to up there like, you know, fighting about um, where the cuts the are going to be and all there it will it will shake out in the weeks ahead but I don't know what the real direction of this legislative session is right. just yet um, uh, the the nice thing is there's not which and I hope it stays this way ultimately there'll be bumps in the road but there's not a high level of animosity a, a lot thing. of that comes from the fact that like I said that uh, two things number one that they want to separate themselves from each other in election year, but nobody want to get, wants to get too bloody. Yeah, election right. Year. Exactly. Um, the other part of it is, like I said, they do have they they have some resources for wow. a change. You know, it's short term. Right. Um, we know it's a blip. We know it's not going to be around forever. Um, but it does help. It helps everybody's listen. Everybody's got a little better attitude when they got a couple dollars in their absolutely. pocket. And absolutely. And so. Um, that's the way things right now they're in the public hearing process so mm -hmm. they're, they're raising the bills that they want to discuss and they're getting the public input on them um, that's what they're in so that's a whole variety of, of things um, but uh, you know and one thing that Connecticut that I that I don't like about our General Assembly hmm. that really I, I don't see happen anywhere else in the country and I equate this a little bit to our leadership. Me and myself in trouble talking about general saying leadership, okay. you know, but things I do it from time to time. But most places when you're in the legislature mm -hmm. and the public comes to testify, it's the public's opportunity to tell you what they think and yes. for you to listen. Okay. And and if you don't necessarily like that, I mean I've been there. I was a legislator in another state. You might ask somebody to clarify their position or you might even ask them a question that's counter, like, well, you said this, but isn't this true type of thing? But you respect them and you recognize that this is their opportunity to communicate with you. The Connecticut General Assembly has a bad reputation in, in my eyes of having a few members mm -hmm. that if you show up to testify contrary to what their belief is, that they'll sit up there on the podium yep. and they'll yell at you. Nah. or talk down to you or admonish you, you know, and nah. kind of give you the, you know, I, I have seen, you know, legislators kind of dress somebody down right. and then dismiss them. It's not, first of all, if you're going to talk to the it's person who's down. there, it's supposed to be a question. Right. I've seen, I've seen people get essentially yelled at by the chairman and then they say, why can I respond to that? No, you're, <laughs> you're dismissed. Right. I've never seen that happen anywhere but here. No. I've got to be honest. I, I, it happens here every single year. Now, you know, I was a state house majority leader in another state. And, uh, you know, you always don't want to get in this position. Well, I this or I that. Right. It's always different. But I can't honestly tell you that 
the leadership that I was a part of would not have allowed, allowed that to happen. No. We would have pulled a chairman in. First of all, if it was a chairman doing it, yeah. we would have pulled the chairman in and said, if you ever do that again or, or treat somebody testifying that way again, you won't be a chairman any right. longer. Or if it wasn't the chairman doing it, we'd pull the chairman in at the same time and say, can you not control your committee? Because right. as the chair, it's your job to step in and say, these people are here testifying as our guests. They shouldn't be treated this way. Exactly. Um, but, but we have uh, inevitably a handful every year that if you're there to testify in opposition to something that they're trying to do, that they will take their position from the podium and cut you off and admonish you for your position and then dismiss you. That is a really bad way. Number one, as a legislator, you should be listening. Right. You, you don't agree, you should be listening. But number two, how do you think that makes everybody else feel who was lined up maybe to give similar testimony yeah, right? and say, oh, I'm gonna, I, I, better, I better not testify because exactly. I don't want to get yelled at here too. You exactly. know? And so that's something that I hope over time, it's, it's gonna take you know, the leadership at the top but I hope at some point in time, the leaders at the top of the General Assembly will say, we're not going to conduct business this way anymore. Because that's the one thing, I can say a lot of good things about these folks and the yeah, time yeah. that they give and the work that they do. Absolutely. But that's the one thing that happens every year that I find very disappointing. we got a little bit more time left, but before I forget, there is a Senate bill about public access up at the state capitol. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about how important you think public access is? Well, it's, it's so very important. You know, I mean, I think obviously this long program, we hit on this a little bit right. earlier. Um, and if anybody's been with us the whole time, yeah, thank right. you, that's thank awesome. You. Exactly. You know, exactly. exactly. But, but it's so, it's just so incredibly important to, to the public trust to have, you know, number one, to have local news. Yeah. And number two, to have that unbiased public access to what is going on. So, and I think I shared earlier that we have this issue now with a lot of things that we think are news mm -hmm. and they get somebody sues them for something they report. And the very first thing that they say is, well, we're not a news station. We're an entertainment company. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, how many times do you think of, you know, uh, whether it's a CNN or a Fox News or an MSNBC or any of these Newsmax, any of them? How many times do you think of them and you might know that, okay, this one's to the, to the right or this one's to the left or whatever, right. but how many times do you say to yourself, what I'm watching is entertainment, it's not news? Right. You don't think they're a tabloid, right. yeah. but essentially they say in their legal defense, that's what we are, exactly. you know? And so that's why it's so important that we have that unbiased local access for people to have, um, you know, the ability to get the facts that they need and hear the things that are important to their communities. Cool. Well, Joe DeLong from CCM, thanks for some time, and we'll see you again soon. Yes, sir. You pleasure. Got it. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. On behalf of Joe DeLong, I'm Pete Mazzetti. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.